Last week, if you remember, I brought grapes, so this week I bring some bread, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, Thank you for being here today on this day of worship and celebration as we continue to ask the question, what shall we do? What shall we do in response to the empty tomb? What shall we do in response to the Easter story? That Jesus is alive, that He has conquered the grave. What shall we do? David Hulls, a pastor in, uh, I think he retired from First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, is a writer and, and wonderful pastor and preacher. He tells the story of a man coming south from the northeast. And this man went into a, a southern diner for cafe for breakfast one morning and he ordered the, the special of the house. And when his food came, he looked at his plate and he said to the waitress, what is that puddle of white stuff on my plate? And she said, well, those are grits. And he said, what's a grit? And this waitress rolled her eyes back and she said, honey, grits don't come by themselves. There's no such thing as a grit was what she was saying. And David continues on in his thought about this. He says, and neither do Christians. Neither do Christians who are followers and devoted to following Jesus Christ. You see, David Hull's point is the point we want to focus on today. That we need community. We need each other. Christians, in a sense, don't come by themselves. They come in community and in fellowship with each other. Lloyd Ogilvie puts it this way. He says, next to the transformation of persons, the second greatest miracle is oneness with others who have been transformed. The way I understand what Ogilvy's trying to tell us is that the greatest transformation that, that anyone can experience is that transformation that we would call salvation. Is that, that transformation in which we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. As Paul says, we are a new creature in Christ. Born again. That is the greatest transformation. But let's not forget the second. The second greatest miracle, the second step of transformation is now the coming together of these transformed people into a community of faith and of life. Ogilvy continues to go on and he explains what he says the best of human relationships apart from the Spirit of God are based on mutual needs, based on mutual interests, based on mutual causes and mutual fears. Is that those seem to be the, 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 the things that bring together people outside of the Spirit of God. So Ogilvy defines the church in this way. He says the church is the community or the fellowship of those given by Christ to be to each other what Christ has been to them. So the followers of Christ being transformed in salvation now find themselves in community with each other learning what it means to be as Christ was 
to them, to each other. We are Christ to each other. But that's not the end of the community. That's not the ultimate purpose of the community. Ogilvy continues, so that this community can be to the world a demonstration of the new humanity that Jesus died and lives to make possible. So as we learn to be Christ to each other, we are also then the example, the witness of this new humanity, of this new sense of community and life with each other that is a witness to the world. Being and living out what Christ has died us, died for us to be. So as we ask the question, what shall we do? The first answer is that which we talked about last week in, in which the, the masses heard and, and the masses responded to the disciples. What must we do as they heard the story of Christ and the response of the apostles was repent. Repent and be saved. Repent and be forgiven of your sins. Repent and experience new life. That's the first thing that we do. But the second comes out of the first. What shall we do? We shall be devoted to each other as a new community of life and of faith. And so today we continue in Acts chapter 2. If you would take your scriptures and we'll look together at the verses 42 to 47. Now, the children have led us in a responsive reading of, of these passages, but I want to begin just by rereading verse 42. They... Those who were saved, those who were being saved, they were continually devoting themselves. They were continuously, they were in an ongoing way, they were devoting themselves. What does that word devote mean? That word devote means to continue to do something with intense effort. So they were continually devoting themselves with, with intense effort, with focus, with commitment, and it also, this word devote here, also implies that there's along the way a certain degree of difficulty or challenge that may come against that effort of devotion. What shall we do? Just as the early followers of Christ, as they were continually devoting themselves to what? Well, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So I want to take a few moments this morning to, to, to focus in on what the early church, what the early believers were devoted to. What, were they, what was their effort focused on? What were they committed to doing as they were becoming that person that God had created them to be? We talk about transformation of individual, now transformation of community. What are you devoted to? If you were honest and you search within your mind and your heart and, and your spirit, what would be the answer to that question? What are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? Are you devoted to Christ? Are you devoted to His church? Are you devoted to His teaching? The Scripture Right here, Luke begins to help us to understand what the early church was devoted to. 
first of all, the early church was devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Now remember, there was no Scripture, New Testament Scripture at this time. What the apostles were doing, they were sharing from the stories of Jesus. They were sharing their life experience. They were sharing from the teachings of Jesus in places like the Sermon on the Mount. In different places as a miracle would occur and Jesus would interpret that and offer that to the apostles. And so the apostles were those, were those, those men that spent those years of ministry with Jesus. And those who had just been saved, those who'd been transformed, were committed, they were devoted, they were intensely applying their effort to listening and learning from these apostles. Certainly they had the Old Testament scriptures and, and I would suspect that they were, would study and learn from the Old Testament, but through the eyes of the Messiah, through the eyes of Jesus as he would have reinterpreted and fulfilled and lived out the Old Testament before them. And these early believers were devoted to the teaching, to the didache, the doctrine, the instruction that came from the apostles. Instruction that would become the Gospels. Instruction that would become Paul's letters and the rest of the New Testament. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and tells him that, that Scripture is profitable for many things. It's profitable for teaching, for training, for correction, for reproof. It's profitable to teach us about salvation. We are to be devoted to the teaching of Scripture and of the apostles. Psalm 119.11 says this, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because Why? Because we've meditated on God's word. We've studied God's word. We've placed it in our heart and in our mind. And it's offered instruction, teaching, correction, to us each and every day. The early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. That means they persisted in listening and in learning. William Barclay writes that we have wasted a day. We have wasted a day when we have not penetrated more deeply into the wisdom and the grace of God each and every day is an opportunity for all of us to learn, to mature, to grow in our faith. Every day is a day to grow in our devotion to the teaching and living out of the Scripture and of God's Word and of His principles. The early church was devoted to this teaching. Next, Luke tells us that the early church was devoted to being together. In the early church, there was a great quality of togetherness. Isn't that a powerful phrase there? A great quality of togetherness. Does the togetherness that we share as a, a community of faith, does that categorize for you or qualify for you a great quality of togetherness? A togetherness in which there was a unity of heart and of mind and of purpose. The word for fellowship there in 42 is, is a Greek word that, that many of you would be familiar with, the uh, koinonia. 
Quantity is the descriptor of the quality and type of fellowship that was shared by the early church. The word quantity means a, a fellowship, a community, an association, a participation together in life and in faith. Church, what community are you devoted to? What's the community that you spend great effort in investing your time and your talents and your service? Church, one day, one day Jesus will return for His bride. One day Jesus will return for His church. All other fellowships, all other communities, all other teams, all other associations will be left behind as Jesus returns for His bride, the church. And how are you devoted to the church today? With what intense effort, despite difficulty, are you showing your devotion to His church? And I'm certainly talking about church universal, the, the, the kingdom of God. How are you encouraging and devoting to the work of, of God in this world and in this culture? And how are you showing and exercising that togetherness and community that all who follow Jesus share? But I'm also referring certainly to the, to the local church, the small church that, that we represent here at First Baptist. How are you growing and how are you exercising and offering testimony to your witness of togetherness as the First Baptist Church of Norman? Is there a great quality of togetherness that we share? Are we devoted to each other in community and in faith and in life? Our mission statement tries to pick up on this. It says we are to, to love people and we are to teach the Word and we are to live the journey of life and faith together. That's that picture of togetherness, of, of community, of participation with each other. What devotion, effort are you showing the bride of Christ, the, the church, the kingdom of God today? I think Luke goes on here, and, and certainly Peter, as, as we're hearing this story, and as they're talking about what it means to be devoted, that immediately they're devoted to fellowship, but then they're devoted to the breaking of bread together. The breaking of bread together. Well, certainly there's an allusion there to the Lord's Supper, but, but I think it even goes beyond that. Some have suggested that when the early church met together to share a meal, a, a breakfast, a lunch, or a dinner, whenever they would share a meal together, they always began that meal by breaking bread together. Because there was something dynamic, there was something spiritual, there was something mysterious when Christians gathered together and broke bread Together, Do you remember the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? It was after Jesus had been, had been crucified and he had, had risen again and, and word was beginning to spread that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And these two disciples were walking back home from Jerusalem and a stranger joined them. And they didn't really sense and they weren't 
prepared to see that it was Jesus. And they had the conversation all the way and, and they invited this stranger to, to come and to have supper with them. And in that meal experience, Jesus took bread and He broke that bread. And in the breaking of the bread, something happened, something spiritual happened and the eyes of the disciples were opened and they were able to see what was going on and discern that Jesus was with them. Church, the early church was devoted to breaking bread because when they broke bread together, there was a sense of the presence of Christ. There was a reminder of His sacrifice for them. The early church was devoted to breaking bread together. Certainly in sharing the Lord's Supper where they would take the bread and they would break it remembering the, the brokenness of Christ's body. And they would take the cup and drink it remembering the, the cup of the new covenant, the shed blood of Christ. But they also shared together what, what many call the agape meal, the, the gathering of the church just to enjoy a common meal together. And it was a meal that expressed their love for each other as they would break bread to initiate and to begin that meal and that fellowship. Church, sharing a meal together is one of the most meaningful and significant acts that a community can share together. I think that's been illustrated in our own church family. Our Dinner for Eight ministry has gone on for, for several years now, and we'll be looking at doing that again in the fall. And the Dinner for Eight ministry has become a, a significant event in the life of our community. Why? Because eight folks or seven folks or ten folks gather around a table. And they break bread together. And they share fellowship and conversation with each other. Church, the breaking of bread is a powerful symbol and experience that the early church shared together. I wonder what would happen if in our own families and in our own church, that as we began sharing a meal together, that we began by breaking bread together. You see, when we break bread, we're reminded of the brokenness and sacrifice of Jesus. When we break bread, we recognize and acknowledge that we sit at the table as equals. We sit at the table with a physical need for nourishment and for bread that each one of us shares as part of our common human experience. At the table, the playing field is even. And when we break bread, we're reminded of that. When we break bread with each other, we're reminded of the harvest. We're reminded of the wheat that was grown, harvested, processed to bring us to this place of having a loaf. We're reminded of those who, who took that weed and prepared it and made the loaf. We're reminded of those in our culture today that they got on the truck and delivered the bread to the store 
we're reminded of the harvest in our own lives that we took our dollars to purchase and to buy this loaf so that as we sit around the table and as we break bread with each other in a very real and powerful way we share our own harvest we share the fruit of our own work with those that gather around the table with us you see the early church was devoted to breaking bread together to sharing their harvest with each other the early church was devoted to remembering that Jesus sacrificed on their behalf with his broken body the early church remembered and acknowledged as they broke bread together that they all had the common need to be filled physically and certainly to be filled spiritually with the bread of life and we all know that in the midst of those things as they they are acted out during that meal experience that conversation begins to develop and conversation begins to grow and certainly especially here in Oklahoma we may start by talking about the weather but as you enter into that fellowship meal of breaking bread together you begin to share your life and begin to develop and share conversations that nurture and build the body and the individual. The early church was committed and devoted to breaking bread together. You see, in breaking bread, eyes are opened and devotion grows deeper. Next thing that Luke wants us to be aware of and to know is that the early church was devoted to prayer. Verse 46 says that daily with one mind they would meet in the temple. In verse 47 that they would praise God in their homes and in their temple. They were, prayer and worship was a part of the experience of the early church and still understanding themselves as a part of the, the Jewish community and the, the fulfillment of the Jewish worship and laws they would gather in the temple and they would pray in the temple and they would worship and praise God in the temple because they were devoted and committed to God and to each other and to sharing that experience together in life and in faith church here's the question for us today are we devoted to prayer are you devoted to prayer in your own personal life and experience? Have you committed yourself to those moments and to those seasons and to those times of prayer daily and weekly, monthly, annually to a season of prayer? I think if we were to step back and be honest with ourselves, we would say that our prayers... Our prayers reveal the place we are spiritually. Our prayers reveal the depth of our faith. Our prayers reveal what we're devoted to, who we're devoted to. Remember James. James tells 
the early church that the reason that your prayers are not being answered is because you're asking with selfish motives. Do you pray with selfish motives today? Is that why your prayers seem to just hit the ceiling and bounce back? Prayers reveal what we're devoted to. Is the breadth of your prayers, the depth of your prayers, just to pray for, for physical healing and physical needs? God, thank you for the bread today. And, and Lord, heal this person that, that, that has this disease or this illness or, or this sickness. And certainly that's important. But how much greater should our prayers be to go beyond just the physical part of life, to pray for the spiritual and the emotional and certainly the physical aspects of life? Are we devoted to praying beyond just the physical needs of those that we care about and those that we love. Church, are we committed in our prayer? Are we devoted in our prayers to listening? Or is our prayer just a one-way conversation? Have you learned to sit and to listen to the Spirit of God? Have, have you learned in your prayer time to, to sit with the Scriptures open, the Psalms open, and to allow the Spirit of God to, to commune and to, to speak with you, to have fellowship with you? Are you devoted to prayer? By yourself, are you devoted to prayer in community and in fellowship with each other and worship with each other? I'm excited because this, sun, this summer we're going to begin a series in June called Summer Prayers. And we're going to look at prayers through Scripture, but we're also going to just look through those intense moments of life when we, we find ourselves in need to pray. How do we pray when we get into those specific times of life? Church, are we devoted to prayer. As we continue reading, Luke wants us to also know the fifth thing I think he wants us to know in this short passage is that the early church was devoted to sharing. The early church was devoted to sharing. Verse 45 says they, the, the early church, those who were gathering in community, they began selling their property and their possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Isn't that a powerful picture? That where there was need, the early church responded to meet that need. Now I don't read this as a, as a mandate to community ownership. I don't think that's what the Scripture is saying because many times in, in the book of Acts, Luke is saying that they sold their own possessions. So it's not about community ownership, but it's about community generosity. I think it goes back to breaking bread together, of sitting around and, and listening to the apostles as they taught in those experiences, there was a, an experience of community, of fellowship, of intimacy that developed. And people got to know each other as they would share their meals together, as they would break bread, as they would pray together. And in that setting, people became aware of the needs of those around them. And they responded out of the grace of Christ in their lives to say, how can I meet that need? And the reality is, is in that day, you didn't just run down to the, to the bank to, to, to go 
you know, borrow a few dollars from your savings account so you could go and meet that need. In that day, those, those savings were done in, with perfumes. Those savings were done in purchase of land and investing in, in other types of things. And so what I think would happen is that, that people would be aware of a need because of the fellowship that they were experiencing. And then they would go and they would sell whatever it was that they had to meet that need. And they learned what it meant to share with each other. One commentator said this, the world is infinitely better. The world is infinitely better because of what Christians have done. What Christians have done in giving and sharing of their resources, of their properties, selling and sharing to meet the need of others, to meet the need of Christians in their church, but also to meet the needs of the community and the world around them. Christians have made a difference and an impact. But this same commentator went further. He said, how much better, how much more of an impact could we make if we were only willing to go further? He said, if we're not willing to sell everything, are we at least willing to sell and to give some or a little more? Church, what is God calling you? What is God calling us to sell, to share, or to give away today so that we might better be able to meet the needs of others? And finally, as we experience, as we discover this church that's devoted to teaching and to togetherness and to breaking bread with each other and to prayer and to sharing, you can just read it in these verses. There's something that begins to happen in this community that is being transformed through the power of the Spirit of God. This was a community, this was a church in which things were happening, in which people wanted to be present and around because you never knew what was going to happen next. Luke describes it simply as the church remained in a constant state of awe because signs and wonders would take place, things that couldn't be explained would take place in their midst and there was this sense that the Spirit of God was present and powerful and moving. Oh, that we would be a church that would just be in awe of what God is and was do, doing in our midst. Are we a church with a sense of awe at what God is doing in the midst of us? It's also a church of gladness. This it's a word that expresses joy. It's a word that is a powerful, it's a bubbly kind of gladness and joy. It's the kind of a joy that is reflected in body language. It's the kind of joy, you've seen those people where you just see them and they're exuberant, they're, they're filled with joy and happiness. This is what was being, this is the, the, the picture of the devoted church is they were in awe and they were filled with joy and excitement so that you could just see it in their facial expressions, in their body language, because they never knew what God was going to do in the midst and in, among their people. The Scripture also tells us that the devoted church was one that had favor with others. 
Now this is an interesting time and transition. The church found favor as they began to share the goodness of Christ and as, as people began to respond, as they began to share with those that were hurting and in need of new life and of being a, becoming a new creation in Christ, of being redeemed, they found favor. But as we continue to read through the chapters of Acts, we discover that the church doesn't always find favor. As we read through the chapters of the, Old of the New Testament, we see that at some point the church comes under persecution and begins to go to different lands and different places. But I can't help but going back to the idea that the devoted church is a church that finds favor with others. The church is a place that finds favor with those who are in need and those that are hurting, with those that would experience grace and love. Those that would, in their brokenness, come and find healing and redemption. We know that the church is finding less and less favor in our culture and in our nation today. But oh, that those who so desperately need to find salvation, to find redemption, to find healing that they would hear the message of Christ and they would come and we would find favor with those who are struggling with life. I can't help but believe that a devoted church, even today, would find favor with those in such great hurt and pain and brokenness. Of course, the Scripture tells us that in the early church, that because of their devotion to God and to each other, that they were also seeing many people come to be saved. Isn't that interesting? What must we do as we hear the gospel message proclaimed? And, and Peter's response was, you must be saved. You must repent. And here as we've seen the, the description of the devoted church, what is the result of the devoted church? The result of the devoted church is people being saved. The reality is, is there's not a lot of people being saved in our nation, in our culture today. Now, we still have some churches that are growing, and, and what's happening is, is that people, Christian people, are, are moving from church to church pretty regularly and pretty faithfully. But there's not any real sense of people being saved. And may that be the prayer of our hearts. Certainly, we would welcome any that would come and want to be a part of, of what God is doing in this place and would want to be a part of this transformed community. But are we sharing the gospel and living out the gospel in such a way that people are coming and being saved in our midst because of the awe and wonder of what God is doing in our place, because of the, the genuine and sincere community and fellowship because of the teaching and instruction and wisdom and service that's going on. The devoted church saw people being saved. Now let us never forget that it's God that saves people, but it is God that then allows us as a church to receive people. Church, are we ready to receive those being saved? Are we ready to receive and be a part of a community that redeems and nurtures and brings those along who are being saved? Or are we content with who we are? Are we content with our little life group? 
We really don't need anyone else to be a part of that. It just makes things more complicated. Or are we a church that will receive Receive those that God is saving and walk with them because we too are being saved. So why wouldn't we welcome those that God would bring into our community, our presence, that He wants to continue to save? You see, the devoted church is one where people are being saved. So church, what shall we do? What shall we do? We should celebrate that that individually we can repent and we can be saved. But what shall we do as a community? Oh, that today as we read through these scriptures and the first chapters of Acts, that we would have a new commitment to be devoted, certainly to God, but also to each other. Let's pray.